0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I just watched a three-hour movie by one of our great auteur directors about white people committing atrocities against people of color. But enough about Oppenheimer. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar.
1: And this is why I don't trust your kindly grandpa. (laughs)
0: Those are vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie that's out in theaters right now. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. And support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash filmpodcast.com where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Now, Jeff Kanata is not here at the moment. Uh, He is not feeling well. Uh, He did join us for our review, which we recorded earlier, uh, but we are hoping that Jeff is able to rest up and recover. We wanted to give him the rest of the podcast episode off uh, because, yeah, uh, take care of yourself. If you're not feeling well, try to rest up. Um, And uh, hope Jeff feels better Mm -hmm. very, very soon. Feel free to send him some well wishes, however you get in touch with him. All right, Devinder Hardware, today on the podcast, uh, we got a couple of quick announcements slash film news items, and then we got some what we've been watching, including what I assume is going to be a fairly detailed discussion of the new Netflix original series, Bodies. Unexpectedly, we, uh, mm-hmm. we went deep on Bodies, yeah. We went deep on Bodies. Uh, and then we, of course, got our weekly plugs, and then our featured review, Killers of the Flower Moon. So anyway... Uh, let's talk about a couple of announcements. First of all, for uh, for time immemorial, people have been asking, hey, uh, David Chen and Devinder Harder and Jeff Canada love the film cast, want to support the mm-hmm. film cast and get the bonus features, the bonus audio, the ad-free audio, the exclusive After Darks on Spotify. And... For a long time, Spotify has not allowed that. That's Spotify's fault, not ours. Uh, yeah. They do have not allowed private feeds. Well, a- apparently they have now started doing that. They have, or not now, recently mm-hmm. started mm-hmm. allowing private feeds. Um, it requires you to link up your Spotify account with your Patreon account. Huh. And it requires us to enable that feature on our end. We have enabled that feature and it is rolling out uh, so, uh, I, I, guess, uh, you know, m- my, understanding is it should be functional. It might take like a couple days for it all to work itself out. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you have been a holdout, uh, on as to whether or not you want to back us on Patreon, but you want to use Spotify, it should be functional very, very soon. So, uh, let that
1: not hold you back anymore,
0: uh, from supporting us on Patreon, but yeah, sure. so, Patreon, I'd be interested
1: yeah. to know like how, and why people are using Spotify for podcasts because there's so many other good tools, but I guess it's right there, right? Yeah, you're it's one, if you're listening to there. your music, then you might as well listen
0: to your podcast. There, right? yeah. I, I, I personally do not, but uh, there, I There understand. are many reasons
1: not to trust that company when it comes to anything around podcasts, you mm. know? But, uh, yeah. 100%, 100%. Yep. I think they
0: have uh, done a lot of damage to the podcasting industry personally, but, you know, uh, I understand why people <laughs> use Who are we? Them. But who are who are we to say? Uh,
1: Devendra, what... Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, What podcast app do you use these days? I'm using uh, Pocket Casts. Yeah, same pocketcast is great and i pay for the uh what I would, pro or premium yeah feature. i pay i pay for the pocketcast subscription each year yeah i do super as well. it's worth it um I, th- I think it's a really good app it works really well um and also i love that it has like web support too so no matter where i am i can sign in and just keep listening from wherever yeah. i was on it's my It's platform
0: agnostic you it's know, great. you can use it on any plan I, i'm a huge fan of pocketcast so that's my that's my uh, mm-hmm. uh podcast app of choice as well but anyway wh- whatever your podcast app of choice patreon.com slash film podcast is uh, how you can sign up for bonus episodes and it should work now on spotify uh so check that out cool Devendra hardwar i wanted to ask you if you'd heard about all this matthew vaughn stuff in the news these days
1: i've seen some things but also i've also seen the trailer for Argyle, so i'm just rolling my eyes at anything around matthew vaughn right now so there's a couple of Matthew Vaughn pieces of news. There's a
0: recently New York Comic Con occurred and Matthew Vaughn started saying a lot of stuff, which is something uh-huh. that he's done in the past. That's
1: where I first talked to Matthew Vaughn. Not that Comic Con, but a Comic mm-hmm. Con.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's not, he not a nice guy, you know? <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: kind of an ordinary guy, but you know.
0: There's two big stories that Matthew Vaughn discussed. One of them is that he has said that there will be a Kingsman sequel. Now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There have been three films in the Kingsman franchise, right? There's been uh Kingsman and then uh Kingsman I think Golden Circle was
1: the second one um, nobody that second movie does not exist Kingsman you know. the Secret Service Kingsman
0: the Golden Circle uh-huh. I've seen and it's fine we, not we as talked fun. about it. I think
1: we reviewed it or we, we might have reviewed, it, yeah, not it. as fun yeah. as the first one
0: mm-hmm. and then there was the Kingsman which I couldn't even get you guys to agree to a review on uh which is that fine whole, I, ne- I never fine, knew when that, that actually not, yeah. was released yeah yeah because it because it got like it's release date got shuffled around and it yeah. was basically released with almost no marketing um And it was incredibly self-serious. It's like a very self-serious <laughs> movie, which is not something that I am hoping for from Kingsman
1: uh, movie series. I mean, it's not a good follow-up from the movie where uh, Elton John did like a flying sidekick, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently
0: Matthew Vaughn has plans to make another Kingsman movie uh, and it's gonna be uh, about Hitler, the rise of Hitler. Okay, <laughs> Uh, and it's going to be it's called right The Traitor King, which will focus on the rise of Hitler and how he, support- he was supported by the English aristocracy, uh, drawing eerie parallels to current events. Uh, I'm reading here from huh. a Collider article. Uh, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't think it's the right time for a story about the rise of Hitler right now. In- indeed. Gonna, probably not. That good. is a bold statement I'm making, but I don't think this is the time for not to mention that the king's man the last mm-hmm. movie performed pretty disastrously at the box office he's
1: really uh going on those king titles too i feel like shouldn't it be the traitor king period man <laughs> frowny emoji i think it should be the tra- the traitor period
0: uh-huh. king period sman uh, sman, S-M-A-N uh, mm. which is a new word that i just invented uh but yeah i think that this is a, a a movie in search of an audience. Like the the, I, I feel like the Kingsman and that franchise
1: has no juice these days. Mm-hmm. I, what I do mean, you think, Steven? He I, he wanted to do like he didn't get the power. He couldn't do Bond, right? So he did his own kind of zany right, Bond, which is and, great.
0: It's great. You should more yeah. people should make their own. You know, uh, Christopher Nolan hasn't done Bond. He made Tenet, which.
1: Yeah. Has some cool things about it, you know? So yeah, I think he's that, always, I feel like he's always making bond, but Guy Ritchie made man from uncle, right? Which even he yes. didn't realize was, was, he didn't realize people like that movie, but I love that movie. Yes. So former you know. Matthew Vaughn collaborator, Guy Ritchie. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, don't ask I, Matthew Vaughn, I, Vaughn questions about Guy Ritchie. Uh, pro tip.
0: I am probably the only <laughs> person who, <laughs> I'm the only person I know who has seen all three Kingsman movies.
1: Okay. And
0: okay. I barely wanted the third one and you're probably the only
1: person on earth who's seen all three, seen all three that's what i'm saying stop that's what i'm saying all three kings that's what i'm saying
0: that's what i'm saying all right so i don't think we need a new kingsman movie okay so here's the thing that might be more interesting to you uh-huh. in Hardcore, which is uh that there apparently might be another kick-ass movie that i'm re- okay reading now from slash film.com the filmmaker first began talking about a reboot in 2021 revealing that I'm going to need one very, very brave actor or actress to play the new kick-ass because it will scare the shit out of them. Uh, and he says, uh, that we've got a big reboot of kick-ass in two years, big reboot. It's so effing nuts that I can't talk about it, but we've got that ready to go. All the rights revert back, revert back in two years and we're going to reboot it (laughs) where people will be like, he is insane. End quote. Uh, um, So then, speaking with Sci-Fi Wire, that was a couple years ago, speaking with Sci-Fi Wire, here's what he had to say. Big update, we're going to start filming Kick-Ass the reboot, which is like nothing that's ever been done on film before, which is very exciting. Because I felt with Kick-Ass, I would like to make a Kick-Ass 3 with those characters, but I think we just need to use a a, a sorbet, shall we say, to cleanse everyone's palate, remind everyone that Kick-Ass is crazy and different. The movie will be talked about, like, everyone, like, what did they go and do, end quote. Uh, he also said it's the spirit of Kick Ass, the first Kick Ass done in a modern way. Okay, so this that I was am a modern
1: set movie. So, yeah, okay. that, was... <laughs> that was that was that was a very modern movie of its time, right? Now it has uh, better iPhones, you know.
0: That, so, that one had
1: iPhones. Yeah, I don't
0: even. Draw, I felt like when Kick Ass came out in 2010, you and I were both big fans
1: of it. We were big we're, fans. Like that was a not... big Comic Con movie. Like yes. we did a lot of preview content around that at Slashfilm.com. Like I remember we were excited, and that movie. I don't know if I saw it at Comic Con, but we certainly saw clips from it, right? So yeah. it was it was exciting. I think, I still love that movie. Yeah. Kick ass two, not so much. Kick ass yeah. two
0: was not as good. Not didn't feel as uh as transgressive as Kick Ass one. Uh but you gotta you gotta give it up for Matthew Vaughn. The guy talks a big game, right? Like he <laughs> He is very good at talking. He's big very good yes. at promoting how big his movie how different and striking and weird his movies are gonna be. Have you and, seen
1: the trailer for Argyle yet? no what is that is that his new movie that's his uh his new movie starring henry cavill and get this samuel l jackson sophia botella mm, yeah, his, yeah. His, his crew are all back together so it's like a spy um, movie that matthew vaughn's directing In it is a spy movie sort of and i think you <laughs> okay. should just watch the trailer uh-huh, because uh-huh. uh to to understand the context of this but uh you know john Cena is in it uh, Henry Cavill sports one of the worst haircuts I've ever seen in the movie. And there's a cat in a cat like backpack that plays a central role to this entire movie. And I don't know what he's doing here. This is another Apple TV movie, by the way.
0: Uh, yeah, that'll come out in February of 2024. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, kick ass. I remember watching the movie and uh, it was one of the first movies I'd ever seen Aaron Taylor Johnson in. Yes. He, he was kind of great as this guy kind of finding his way. Hit Girl was incredible because you have this this visual of Chloe Grace Moretz mm-hmm. a, a very young
1: Chloe Grace Moretz violently murdering dudes. Preteen right? like, with a sailor mouth murdering dudes. Uh, her dad is Nicolas Cage's Batman like that movie rules. Come on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So but I don't know how they're going to do that again. Like
0: I don't know how they're going to make something that like Eventually, if mm-hmm. you keep pushing the envelope, you become sort of like Ricky Gervais, in my opinion. Who's like, "Am uh-huh. I offending you yet?" You know, like it's kind of. Uh, I, I that's what I worry about. Is like he's going to try to top himself, and that's very much what mm-hmm. Kingsman Two felt like. You know, right, Kingsman yeah, yeah. Two felt like, "Oh, you you want." like someone's head exploding in Kingsman one was weird for you. What if we have like 50 heads exploding? you know, like what if,
1: what if we do that
0: it, and it's like, it, it kind of becomes too, too much. But that said, I, I mm-hmm. did want to just acknowledge that at the time in our lives where we watched kick-ass one in 2010, uh, it's a different time. Different uh, that that era. was a, that was a fun, that was a really fun movie for us to enjoy at that time. You know, we were, we were completely yeah. different
1: people. Superhero movies were not uh completely like overcooked right. like it, it came at the perfect time. Yeah, um, yeah, I still yeah, really yeah. enjoy that movie, but I also really enjoy like, you know, the stuff we did around that. That was like when one of the first things I was covering when I had moved to New York as well. So it was a good time, but I think since then we have learned like Matthew Vaughn when he gets um silly, when he gets a little cartoonish, uh, this cat, I'm so worried about the cat in the Argyle movie cuz uh it's just like the the Elton John flying kick. Like a lot of weird CG shots that look like he is just making a comic, like a cartoon almost, you know, not as a pejorative, but as he's making like a thing for children while also being a hyperactive, you know, spy movie. I feel like his balance of tones has lost, has been lost yeah, a little bit. I think I will
0: agree with you there. And, you know, Matthew Vaughn is 52 years old now, and he, but he's still kind of making movies in oh, a yeah. similar way, you know, uh, which I, I appreciate. I appreciate that
1: he's trying to stay in touch with the youth. But it's sort of like the old guy who's still trying to be hip. You know, Where was like, I don't, have you matured at all? Like, has, has your has your sensibilities, have they like, for you know, for, turned into something a little more uh, aged or wiser or I don't know. Right, I mean, we're going to uh, talk
0: about Killers of the Flower Moon today and I think that um, it's... That, uh, that's not a movie Scorsese would have made at the beginning right, of his career or even exactly. the
1: middle of his career. Right, you know? exactly,
0: exactly. And there's something special about watching a... Uh, a filmmaker's style Mm -hmm. mature over time. Uh, It it does feel to me when I watch a lot of Matthew Vaughn's work that he's trying to like bring back the glory days of youth um, with the kind of more frenetic style and storytelling of that. And, and I, 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 there's something I do admire about that. I admire that he's like, he's trying, whatever, whether he's he's successful or not, he's always trying to entertain you. You know what I'm saying? He's definitely, yeah. He's always trying to do something fun and unexpected. And I really admire that. But, Unfortunately, it has come to diminishing returns for me, you know, like it, it has so,
1: uh you should go watch that Argyle trailer. We should just do a live reaction to the <laughs> Argyle trailer right now because it is like looking at all of that I'm like, oh this is just all of your mistakes uh, mm. again, Matthew Vaughn. I will say if he's if he is uh talking about like daring reboot of the Kickass movie, um I can only imagine like uh, and that was a comic too. I can, my eyes are already rolling at like what he's going to do, right? Is it going to, it's going to open up with a graphic sex scene of uh, MC, you know, somebody having sex with MCU characters or somebody in cosplay. Like it's going to try to be transgressive and F you to Marvel. Right. Even though the first kick-ass was like, you got, I don't know how they got the Batman like imagery, like they yeah, we were able yeah, to yeah. use that. But yeah, you know, Nicholas Cage was dressed up as Batman pretending to be a guy dressing up as Batman and not just a make-believe character. So you're saying, me, you're saying it already, yeah,
0: that, that already was it. They already did yeah. it right they don't do it it again yeah exactly yeah so anyway the
1: most transgressive thing would be not to do the movie (laughs) like not do another superhero movie
0: you know when you really think about it the punk thing is to ignore the demands of capitalism it's true it's Uh, true that is what is truly punk these days okay anyway uh that is a little bit of the film news that's going on in the world right now uh, by the way, apparently very weird vibes at Comic-Con because you had you had actors who were showing up at the panels but they could not talk about the work. Oh man, yeah. Because of the SAG after-strike. So That's weird. I, I heard it's just like, it was a very weird vibe at Comic-Con. Um, but anyway, uh, not for Matthew Vaughn though. He's still out there. He's still out there doing it. <laughs> He's thing, loving so. the Comic-Con. He's yeah. loving it. He's loving it. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this All right, Devinder Hardawar. let's talk about a few things we've been watching this week. I had a chance to watch Beckham, a four-part docuseries about the famed British soccer player David Beckham. Uh, I don't know if your Netflix is trying to serve this to you nonstop, but uh, I finally
1: relented. Okay. Uh, And have you heard of this documentary at least? I've heard of the documentary. I don't really care about Beckham uh, unless it's referring to the movie Bend It Like Beckham, which Mm -hmm. I think is phenomenal. But yeah, I don't care about the guy.
0: Well, let me tell you this. I also did not give a shit about David Beckham. And this docuseries made me give a shit about David Beckham.
1: Well, that's why you make a docuseries, you know? Right, This person matters enough to have four hours of content devoted to them.
0: Well, I mean, the the only thing about the docuseries that, honestly, the biggest downside of the docuseries is, is uh, that it feels like David Beckham's only... Uh, he, I think he's not even 50 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. So it still feels like there's another chapter of his life left to document. And uh, and so it feels like re- relatively incomplete in some ways. But otherwise, this is a great sports documentary, Devendra. This is a documentary that... Uh, gives you insight into who David Beckham is in, and it shows you the beauty of how well he's able to play. It also makes him seem very, very likable. Like I've talked mm. to a lot of people watching this documentary. They're like, the guy is just really likable, you know? And, and that's what a lot of people have taken away from the doc, the Netflix documentary Beckham. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I've seen a lot of these documentaries, Divindra, you know, like I've, mm-hmm. I've watched... I watched the Pamela Anderson documentary. I watched the Arnold
1: Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix. After a certain point, I have to ask what what is compelling you to watch these documentaries? Do you, especially when you don't have an interest in the person it's about? Well, first of all, many of these people that are now getting docuseries made of them Mm
0: -hmm. uh, were big in the 90s, right? Yes. We're were big in the 80s and 90s. They're big when we were growing up. Mm -hmm. And so now we get to hear all that stuff we read and heard about, about them from when we were children from their perspective. And okay. I think that's yeah, kind of, yeah. that's kind of can be interesting. Right. Um, but, uh, also it's like, it's a thing where like, okay, I'm going to start watching this. And if I don't care by the end of the uh-huh. first episode, I'm not going to watch the rest of them. Mm-hmm. And this is one where I was like, okay, I got to watch all the way to the end. Uh, Fisher Stevens directed this documentary. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. AKA the guy who plays Hugo in succession. And he is a character. In yeah. the documentary, like he, he the you,
1: Indian guy from Short Circuit, yes, yes, yeah, so he
0: he has apologized for that, but yes, yes. uh I won't forget. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I understand. uh It was a different time, Devendra, but you know, mm-hmm. I and, hey, there's there's things I will not forgive either, so I understand. uh-huh uh, No, it's, but, it's
1: more like it, I, I I've always liked him as an actor. It's just one of those things. Like if I ever have a chance to meet Fisher Stevens or uh I don't know who's the who's the other one, Hank Azaria, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna make a joke about it, man. Like, come on, it come on, you've fa- made millions. Off it, it, of that imagery. It is a fact that when you say Fisher Stevens, that is the first thing yes. my mind thinks about. Is, that, that's who I grew up thinking Fisher Stevens was. Yeah, yes. I was like, oh, representation for me in short circuit. It's yeah, great. That, that is the thing that I think
0: about is, is his role in short circuit. But okay. Putting that aside, um, he is great in this documentary because he's a character. So like sometimes you don't hear the interviewer mic'd up. Right. They're like, if you're Errol Morris, Mm -hmm, you're screaming mm -hmm. at the subject from off screen Uh and you're barely being picked up by the mic. But he's like Fisher Stevens is mic'd up. He's asking questions. You're hearing him asking questions. He's asking questions like sometimes sarcastically, like sometimes he's like digging into David Beckham because you get the sense that he's really gotten to know him Mm -hmm. through the course of making the documentary. And he'll be like, oh, really? Is that what you thought David Beckham? You know, like he's like he's like making fun of him, ribbing him. And I think that's a very refreshing dynamic for a documentary. Very because, podcasty, yeah. Very, very, because I think a lot of times uh, the documentarians become too attached to subjects and they don't yeah. feel like, they don't criticize them in any way. Or they don't, I will talk a bit about that in right. a bit, yeah. They don't, it doesn't seem like they can ask the hard questions. But Fisher Stevens, I think, largely, with one glaring exception, he does ask the hard questions. Um, and I think he does a, a very competent job Mm. Uh, putting this documentary together.
1: There, there, are there hard questions for David Beckham? This context is completely I, I have nothing. I have nothing. <laughs> well, there is one thing that he doesn't
0: ask hard questions about and okay. that is when David Beckham is accused of cheating on his wife at one point. Um, you know. What what
1: super, what sports superstar hasn't? I was
0: disappointed I was disappointed that no hard questions were put to him really mm-hmm. in the documentary. But uh yeah, so what what was very interesting about the David Beckham stuff is Um, in 1998, David Beckham played in the World Cup Mm -hmm. and got what's called a red card during the course that I I was in high school. I remember this. It was a big deal. Yeah, Right. And he basically became vilified by the nation for for doing that because he uh, essentially, you know... um, You're out of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert for the 1998 World Cup, but he was eliminated from the game and then they lost. And everyone blamed him. His coach blamed him, <laughs> and, which is like really unprofessional, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and he it left him clinically depressed and like at the lowest of the low. And Man. and that was when he was
1: already a big deal. Do you know what was the cause of the red card? So he uh, basically I, got. I, taken... I used to hit a little football, Dave. I, I yeah. know the terms.
0: <laughs> he got taken down by an opposing player. Mm -hmm. right like an opposing player like slid into him or whatever and david beckham fell down and then in 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 a moment of impetuous in a moment of impulsiveness david beckham kind of kicked the guy a little bit like he was Uh... on the ground and he like swung his his foot up and like kicked the guy in the back of his leg Uh right just a little it's the whole thing was over in less than a a little kick just
1: a little kick just a little kick i mean and the guy, I, I, I'm not joking. I have been in plenty of soccer games, and that happens all the time. Yeah. So, and the guy yeah. just—he did, did a little kick, and the guy, like, he, who the
0: guy who he did oh, it to, who, yes. who is did he do the dramatic
1: fall? Yeah, he did the like, dramatic fall. Oh my
0: fall. god, he did the dramatic fall. He's like, oh my god, I'm so injured. Red card.
1: Wow. Um,
0: David Beckham is removed from the game. That means their team is down a man for like an hour.
1: That plus. guy, that guy, that split second decision to do that dramatic fall is like, oh, I could. I could take this fucker out, right? I I get him out of this entire game. That's exactly what the thought process was, which is like, which
0: is like brilliant when you think about it, right? But it, it almost like anyone else, ninety nine percent of people. Mm-hmm. If that happened to to ninety nine percent of people, it would completely psychologically destroy them. Like, True. True. everywhere he's going, he's being harassed by people. Like the front page news story every day is how you're a
1: horrible, you're a disgrace to the country. Can you <laughs> it's imagine that lasso being... thing where you go from being the hero to the villain in right. in a day? Basically. Can you
0: imagine yeah. being like on the front page of the New York Times is like the disgrace of of the United States? You know, like and imagine that I going mean, on. For I, like... I have dreamed
1: of that. But,
0: you know. <laughs> imagine that happening for like weeks, right? And. Uh, and the documentary takes you behind the scenes of like what he was experiencing at that time. And it was, it's very valuable. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very inspiring because that could have ended his career. That could have just been like, it's over. Like he's not playing soccer after that. Um, but obviously he's still relevant today. People know who he is today. And that's because he has continued to persist. He's continued to persevere. And ultimately that journey is really moving. And that's why I got to recommend this documentary because it takes you through many components of that journey and what he felt and how he came out of that. And, uh, and, and not only that different but also I think the best sports documentaries, you know, I do not, I don't think I have watched a single game of football, AKA soccer all the way through in my entire life. I don't Uh think I've watched it, but you don't want to. Unless (laughs) Unless like <laughs> you were you
1: obligated to because it's a family member or your child, you know? Yeah. yeah. You've just pissed off half the audience Come at this me. podcast. Come at me. Um, you can you can email
0: Davindra at Devendra <laughs> at gmail.com. You no, know, I don't know what it is. You know. Divindred I at mean, gadget.com. Yeah, Let's divindra go. And, yeah, yeah. If you Let's direct go. all direct all complaints to Divindra and engadget.com. Anyway, um, the best sports documentaries give you an appreciation of the art,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Uh, give you an appreciation of the, the art of the sport. And that's what this documentary does. I'm like, oh, I didn't give a crap about soccer slash football before, but now I realize, like, all the amazing stuff that goes into
1: it, and it makes the game look beautiful. So, anyway. That's great. As you can tell, this is like... It it is certainly the idealized form. Like, I've seen plenty of soccer documentaries, actually, and... You know, in bits like the Ted Lasso of it all, the the sort of like hype around soccer in those small moments that uh, it can be truly powerful. Yeah, right. I wouldn't say this is
0: like Last Dance level in terms okay. of okay, but but it's like up. It's like when it's closer to the Last Dance than like certainly like the Arnold documentary, which I thought was not very good at all. Like this is like very insightful, and I would recommend it to anyone who has even a passing interest in David Beckham or soccer or anything like that. So. Anyway, big fan of the Beckham documentary on Netflix. Devendra, why don't you
1: tell us about the Errol Morris documentary you watched this week? Sure, yeah. I was uh, I, I was just browsing on my phone. Uh, I got the big phone. I got the big iPhone. And one thing I like to do is occasionally just spend time after I put the kids down, just like completely lay in bed, as I know you like to do, and just stare at your phone, Dave. Mm-hmm. But I like to just like see what's new and just to, like sit and watch stuff. And I, watching I will, tell, stuff you, on I will phone. tell you, I have a new, uh-huh. uh, you know, I think we talked about this the afternoon. Yes. I have a new new rule No phone
0: in the bedroom. Oh, my God. I I, I place my phone outside, and uh, and it's great. It's great because I'm sleeping better. And also, before, I used to wake up and, like, stay in bed for, like, 45 minutes looking at the phone. And now I need to, like... Now I need to get up if I want to look at the phone. That's and good. So it, it lets, no phone in the bedroom. It lets me be more purposeful of my time. I'd strongly recommend it to anyone. I hope anyway. you've
1: removed the contraption above your head that held the phone up for you to stare at. Absolutely not. Anyway, go ahead, Devendra. No, It's still there. Yep. No phone. Still um, there. So anyway, <laughs> uh, um, uh, in my vegging mode, uh, I saw that the pigeon tunnel was on Apple TV Plus, and this is a documentary by Errol Morris about John LeCarré and uh, I, I think he, I think he's a really interesting author, you know. Um and I I just start watching it because I'm like, okay, well, er- Errol Morris is gonna do something interesting here. This is a fascinating documentary because it's um you know, it's it's the actual, you know, it's the author, it's David Cornwall, uh talking about his life. And would you would you be shocked if it really all comes down to his father and his relationship <laughs> with his father? And that's pretty much it. Like, it, it is that relationship that has founded, um, that has served as a source of, like, him being an outsider in the world, him being an ideal candidate to be uh, a special agent uh, for British intelligence, and also him being somebody who can, like, take those stories and transform them into, I think, incredible spy novels that always felt like an antidote to, like, Ian Fleming's stuff, right? They're more grounded, more more realistic and i think just more more normalized in a way and this documentary tries to get at that it is direct conversations with uh with cornwall and i, I think it's fascinating but it does kind of do the thing well, cornwall I, yeah. I think is the name yeah um but it does the thing that you were talking about where i don't think it did ask those hard questions especially mm-hmm. because um You know, there's a lot of stories about Cornwell and there was um, one of his mistresses recently like wrote a book a couple of years ago um, about how like what the sex life was. And it's just like really fantastical, like best sex of my life. This lady wrote an entire book about that and how he was cheating on his wife. And it was a known thing. Like he was a known womanizer and stuff. Um, And Errol Morris is talking to him, like trying to trying to raise these questions. And he flat out refuses. Cornwell just doesn't. Mm. Well, at least he's asking wanna... the questions. You know? He like... asked the question, but it, it, it kind of like took, kind took a while. Like it sounds, also like his uh, producers and his partners were like, "Errol, you gotta, you really <laughs> gotta step it up here, buddy." Like, <laughs> in terms of what's happening, and I do think it's um, it's also a fascinating documentary too because if you've seen the uh, the one about uh, Theranos, um, I forget who directed that one, but yeah, prolific documentarian as well, Alex Gibney's Theranos. Alex Gibney's Theranos documentary, which features. Features: Errol Morris, the inventor out for blood
0: in Silicon Valley. Errol Morris is featured because he Errol Morris made an advertisement for Theranos, which is now a disgraced company.
1: a whole A whole campaign. But Errol Morris is basically um, we we hear him talking, you know, to Theranos lady, uh, just like being completely enamored with her, trying to tell her story, and it just seems like completely anathema to the Errol Morris that you know has won Oscars and that he's known for being a, a major truth teller. That's a documentarian. And this documentary almost feels like um, Errol Morris kind of reckoning with the fact that he was duped a little bit and so easily duped because it's about how spies can do that and how spies have a specific worldview and they're, they can easily bring you in and they just see people almost as like um, things to manipulate or they always know how to like manipulate the situa- situation to their interest. So I, I think if you're into... John Carré stuff. Um, I think this is worth a watch. It's definitely fascinating. It makes me want to go back and rewatch Tinker Tailor. And also I've never seen the, uh, the original British version of Tinker Tailor or the, uh, the one people talk about, the BBC version. So mm-hmm. I need to go check that out at some point. But I, that, that's a movie where I think about it a lot. Like the, the most recent adaptation of Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy, which I think was kind of like widely reviled, except for some sickos like me who found it to be a really fascinating portrait of spy life. So if you're into that stuff, if you're into John Le Carre's stuff in general, I think this is worth a watch. I just wish it was a little more incisive. And also it does the Errol Morris stuff of, um, you know, dramatizing some bits. Um, You know, it explains uh, the pigeon tunnel is not a title I like, but uh, you know, Cornwall explains like what it is. It's like a formative memory of his from his childhood. Um, But I do think Errol Morris also, also needs to just chill out a bit. With how he dramatizes some of these things, it's worth a watch. But it's a little, it's a little overcooked. I mean, he times. invented, he invented the, or not
0: invented, but he mm-hmm. uh, he was critical in popularizing the yes. idea of the reenactment. It can look so, like a movie. Yeah, and so Amazing. I, I'm a big, I, I will say, Errol Morris is like, one, probably one of my top three filmmakers of all time. I love his work. I've read his books. I find him very inspiring to me. The question for you, Divendra Hardwar, is. If I have never read any books by Jean Le Carre, a.k.a. Uh, David John Moore Cornwell, should I watch the
1: Pigeon Tunnel? No, this is not made for you. No. Really? No, absolutely not. Really? Um, it's not... I mean, it's kind of fascinating, but it's not like the Beckham thing where, you know, yeah, oh, the, he was a major... documentary splinter. is like, it like
0: makes you care yes. about that character like this documentary doesn't do a good job of making
1: you understand why this guy's important or it kind of not really why he's in, it assumes you understand mm. who you know Likari is mm-hmm. and his work it's more about the man behind it and his motivations i think that's kind of interesting but it's more i think this one is more for the fans um i do want to point <laughs> out um i remember i had a at south by at some point i had an interview with alex gibney and i asked him like did he ever ask um errol morris about about the theranos stuff And um, I love this quote because I've repeated on the show, perhaps. Um, Let me see here. I I wrote, when the two ran into each other at an event, Morris refused to talk about Theranos and told Gibney, you can't make me.
3: For God,
1: (laughs) there is no off the record. And he can be a very unforgiving person, Morris said. I'll never forget that quote. Mm -hmm. That's who Earl Morris is. For God, there is no
0: off the record? Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's amazing. It's very true. Very true. All sure right. that
1: that's one way to, like justify uh, being completely duped by a charlatan. <laughs> I, don't having... ju- I don't think he's justifying anything. I think I think he's, I think just, he's justifying it he's himself just, a little. He's bit, just saying, so like, I'm yeah. not
0: going to talk about that, you know, which i who who would who would want to? but
1: all he's right, not anyway. earl more his if he doesn't like over dramatize it uh, a little too much, you know, but anyway, yeah. I, I think for like Car- like fans, I think this is worth a watch, and you'd probably be into it, dave all
0: right. i'll i'll tr- I'll start watching it. And if I don't. Give a crap about what's going on. I'll stop at 30 minutes. You, in. you know, a good uh. way
1: to watch it is um is the way I have been. It's just like, okay, you have like a little bit of time. Yeah, you just want to yeah. like start playing something on your phone. I love watching stuff on my phone, especially if it's not like super cinematic. That's how I watched that Robo RoboCop documentary two, And it was like, it was perfect. Because I could yeah. walk around the house and still pay attention to it.
0: That's the Pigeon Tunnel. It's streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. And uh, in case I didn't mention it, the first thing I I talked about was Beckham on Netflix. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I had a chance to watch Last Stop Laramah, Murder Down Under, or Murder Down Under, as they might say in Australia. Um, Now I think you're going to be arrested for that. This is a documentary about Laramah, a a town in Australia that has 11 residents. The town's name is actually Laramie, right? But... No, I think it's Larima. (laughs) It's Larima. It's spelled Larima. Uh, And it's about uh, 11 people uh, living in this one tiny town, and one of the residents goes missing and is suspected of being murdered. And it's about uh, – it's kind of a true crime documentary. Um, uh, You know, I'm going to say – vendra hardwar there yeah. are many true crime documentaries that perhaps too many that don't yeah. feel like they have a great resolution <laughs> you know uh-huh, uh-huh. and I'm gonna put it you know like I'm gonna say things like serial season one um is is an example of that I'll say like um uh you know just many many documentaries they're like hey we're asking a bunch of questions and uh it's interesting that we're asking a bunch of questions but the, you know so anyway uh-huh. Uh, th- this is very much of that kind, you know, that's like, Hey, what if we ex- asked a bunch of questions, um, but not necessarily resolve anything. Um, I, I-, I mean, there is some resolution yeah. of it's some like we- kind we shot I- all this footage, right. we gotta, like, we gotta make something here. Yeah. Uh, I-, I will let people decide how good the resolution is. You know, like I- I'm not saying there's nothing, but I'm saying I didn't get to the end of it feeling like, Oh my gosh, you gotta see this because of mm-hmm, X, right? Mm-hmm. What is interesting about Last Stop Larama Murder Down Under is that it examines what the dynamics are of a small town. Um, Like, you would think that in a town of 11 people, maybe everyone would have figured out a way to get along with each other. But in fact, the hatred between people is way more intense than you would have in a a suburb or something like, in a regular Uh suburb. And I think there is something about, you know, People needing space from each other that you just don't get when you're in a small town and you know everyone and everyone's business. So like all of their flaws and the stuff that you don't approve of becomes mm-hmm. really, really magnified and unfortunate. Um,
1: I recall that about the uh, the S-Town podcast,
0: the Shit Town mm, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very similar. Simil- that. yeah. So that's what's great about this documentary is it gives you a look at what those interpersonal dynamics are. The characters are very colorful um there are a, a handful of shocking moments in the documentary it is quite long it's like 2 hours long for the amount of story that i think it has um but overall uh, you know if, if you're into like true crime stuff if you're into like oh murder mystery stuff uh, then i do think it it delivers to some degree on that uh, but it's it's i wouldn't come for some amazing crime solving material i would come because you want to see Mm -hmm. what are the dynamics in a town of 11 people that's interesting that is interesting to me and that's ultimately why i still feel okay recommend like talking about it recommending it's a big time city
1: person you just can't can't imagine can't imagine that (laughs) like yeah I, i have to ask what compelled you to to watch this dave
0: oh because um somebody i follow on instagram who is a uh hollywood writer Okay. Um, posted it on Instagram stories and said this is their favorite movie of the year. Huh. So I was like, Oh, and I'm into I'm into the you know
1: documentaries. And I'm into. They're saying that because they just optioned the adaptation. Of this. <laughs> That's why. Maybe they they shall remain. Nameless. Everybody should watch this documentary. It's gonna be big. I
0: tell you. They have written stuff that has appeared on screen. You know, they're mm-hmm, they're. Mm-hmm. Um, I would describe them as a moderate deal in Hollywood, and okay. so. Uh, but they said that this, I don't have permission to share. You know, uh-huh. they Instagram stories, DMing with Tyler
1: Perry. Okay, yeah, okay. Got
0: <laughs> you got you got me, Divendra. <laughs> Tyler Perry, insta story about this. Anyway, um, so they recommended it, uh, but yeah, it's Last Stop Larama, Murder Down Under. It is available on Max, the one to watch for HBO, hmm. and that is another thing I've been watching this week. Um,
1: Divendra, tell us about this Fraser reboot you watched this week. Sure, I mean, uh, hey, folks, there's new Fraser out there, and I feel there are some people, there are Fraser people right? Like they, they understand the joys of that original sitcom. I love Frasier. And that is something my wife and I have spent a lot of time watching. Like we, Frasier would just be the show we have yeah. on at night as we're going to bed and prepping to bed. Cause it's so quiet. So chill. I love the characters. I think Kelsey grammar was fantastic. And the supporting cast of that, uh, that entire series was phenomenal. Like it's just a perfect sitcom. So how about you reboot Frasier and you don't have any of those other people on, but you do have Kelsey grammar on. And, uh, you know, you bring him back to Boston and apparently having learned no lessons from his time in Seattle. Um, and also he has a fractured relationship with his son, sort of like Fraser had a fractured relationship with his father at the beginning of that series. Let's just do all that again. <laughs> um, Fraser's back, everybody. Woo! In reboot form. It's very weird. It's a very weird show Frazier's because like
0: back in reboot form.
1: That's what it is. It's yeah. what it is.
0: It's, uh, it's strange.
1: have you ever seen Fraser in Pog form? <laughs> in Pog form. Okay. I'm sure there are Fraser Pogs. <laughs> there are absolutely <laughs> Fraser Pogs. Uh, it's so weird watching this because I have not seen a traditional three camera sitcom shot in front of a live studio audience in a very long time. And this is exactly that, except... It feels different than the original Frasier. That show never looked cheap. You know, like there was always something Mm -hmm. that was a show about, you know, rich people being snobby and uh, hilarious to each other. But it never looked cheap. I I believe that was even shot on film. Like it always had a good look about it. a Great texture to it. This one looks like a modern sitcom. And it's kind of gross. I just don't like the way it looks. Um, As a show, it's perfectly fine. But it is really weird how it's just not doing much with Fraser, the character because uh, spoilers for Frasier, the original series, it ends with him uh, moving to Chicago, I believe to follow another, uh, another love interest. And that was going to be like his whole story. And um, the series is basically like, well, that's not working out. Let's uh, let's go to, let's go back to Boston. Let's start drinking beers again because uh, you know, in, he was very, not much the uh, cheers Fraser in the Fraser show. He was a very different person, a more like highfalutin person. This is a weird reboot getting him back into Boston. I think it's perfectly fine. But I also don't think like unless you have a love for Frasier or traditional sitcoms, I don't know why anybody would watch this show. I kind of just like seeing Kelsey Grammer in Frasier mode. Um, He is perfectly fine. The show is like acceptably funny. Like there are things that make me laugh. There are things that make me wish David Hyde Pierce was here or some of the other actors from the original show. And they, they just can't do that. So it's also trying to recreate some of that energy. Um Nicholas right, Lindhurst. But, but the original,
0: let's be clear, yes. the
1: original Frasier sitcom was a classic,
0: right? Like it was a classic in it, itself,
1: was a was a remake. Was a yeah, spin-off a spin-off. It was Cheers. a spin-off.
0: Right, right. But but it, it was a classic. And I think what I've heard from you and other mm-hmm. folks, like our colleagues at Extra Hot Great, is that this is not a classic so far. This
1: is this is <laughs> another sitcom. And I think It's one of those things. I I would have loved to see uh, Jane Levy's, uh, Jane Leaves, who played Daphne, or even Perry Gilpin, who played Roz, like some of those folks, even David Hyde Pierce. Instead, they have a character who's playing um, the son of Niles, so who has like some of David Hyde Pierce's uh, characteristics. Mannerisms. Yeah. Mannerisms. It's just it's just it just feels so forced and so weird but it's not terrible is the thing like it's very watchable it's a perfectly cromulent show basically. perfectly cromulent and Kelsey Grammer when he is when he is in Frasier mode like he's very watchable you know i've heard the behind the scenes stories about him uh, a lot of people did not like making frasier with him because he was going through a lot like there were moments where it sounded like he was um he was absolutely like he was dealing with alcohol alcoholism and all sorts of issues like being a major tv star too there were issues where he would be like just absolutely drunk on set, but like they would call action and he would turn into Frasier. He would just flip on Frazier mode. And I'm not surprised why some people didn't want to like recreate that experience with him. So anyway, the show's here. It's not terrible, but I also don't think it needs to exist. <laughs> it's not terrible, but I also don't think it needs to exist. We didn't. Right? We, we had a perfect send off for you Yeah, know, They could have done a special or something. We just didn't need this. It feels so sad, to be honest.
0: Alright, well that's Frasier the reboot and it is streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. It's one thing Devinder Hardware has the been watching. The one to watch for Star pa- Trek question mark? Pa- Paramount <laughs> things? No, Star- no. Star Trek? Star-
1: Some Star Trek is coming to Netflix S- Star now, Trek
0: so. except the stuff that's not on there? Yeah. Okay, anyway, yeah. Uh, that's another and thing. that's Divin- the problem with Paramount+. Plus. The one to watch <laughs> for what? Uh, that is another thing Devinder Hardware has been watching this week. Let's take another break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this All right, Devendra Hardwar, let's talk about the thing we've both been watching. and that The is show the, everyone's been watching over the weekend, right? That is the Netflix original miniseries, Bodies, an eight-part science fiction thriller. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the... It's based off of the graphic novel. I am mm-hmm. going to talk about the premise of this series. Um, Devendra has seen uh, four episodes. I've seen eight episodes. I've seen the whole thing. Uh, we are not going to spoil anything, but we will talk about the premise. Here comes the premise. Uh, in f- in f- multiple different time periods, <laughs> I was, I was going to say actually how many, but I was like maybe that's a spoiler.
1: No, it's all it, it's all in the trailer. I'll tell you, in, everything's in, in the
0: trailer. In multiple different time periods, a dead body has been discovered by a detective in mm-hmm. each of those time periods. A and naked dead body. A, a naked with dead a body. Bullet e- through its eye. Yeah, and each of them mm. must now race against the clock to solve the crime. Before something horrible happens. Yeah, is it the same dead body? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so that is the premise of Bodies. Uh, so Devendra Hardwar, uh, we're, we, you know, we're going to talk for a few minutes about this this series and what we think about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I did think about. You, I, I was thinking about you. Like I, I was going to talk about it today on the podcast, and I was like. Um, you know, I was going to recommend it to you for a variety of reasons with some heavy caveats.
1: There are caveats. What yes. did you
0: think? What did you think of Body so far? The first four episodes
1: that you've seen? So let, let me just say, I started watching the show because uh, I was invited to join the Extra Hot Great podcast uh, to talk about the an upcoming series. And this was one of the choices. And I was like, this seems cool. This seems kind of sci-fi. It also seems sci-fi and um, procedural, well, not quite procedural, but like sci-fi and mystery like in a way similar to life on mars the original one you know so i was like okay i'm down with that i would love to check out the series i love this premise the cast is pretty good um you know i i will just say though you got to give it two episodes i think that's my main recommendation for the show i like it but i have a lot of caveats about it i don't think it's a perfect show i think it um <laughs> the the way it goes across timelines um it's kind of silly especially (laughs) there there is a future timeline that is one of the like just most generic Mm -hmm. interpretations of like a sci-fi future that i've ever seen um you know it it opens with it's at the end of the first episode it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailer we kind of know this all kind of involves all these timelines but that future timeline starts with um you know uh somebody in a future car and the car just looks like ridiculous. Like the rims look ridiculous. It ha- They have projections on the wall because that's the future. <laughs> it Except it looks like modern day London. And it looks like they had no budget to like really design what the future could look like. It, feel, it feels like they spent all the money on the past.
0: They did. Lines, basically. They did. They spent all the money like, in the past. Because the past
1: timelines look awesome.
0: Like they, they did pretty
1: they look, good, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's a it's modern, it's like 1940s and then 1890s, right? So you've yeah. got you've got different settings, like set yeah. dressings, different a lot of different. Yeah, things, and different what's costumes. cool? What's cool yeah. is
0: you get to see like the
1: same location but
0: during different time periods, and like mm-hmm. that's just a cool idea, you know? It's just it's very ambitious. Um, it's ambitious it,
1: so. um it does some really fun split screen stuff sometimes too when like the same people are in the same location yeah, which yeah, yeah, made yeah. me think of uh it was giving me 24 vibes at mm-hmm. times I'm like, yeah, that's yeah, kind of yeah. cool i wish i had done more with that i think the central mystery the setup of the mystery is just super clunky like a lot of this stuff is mm-hmm. super clunky because yes, all yes. the all the time periods are like It's a detective. It's a cop stumbling upon this thing, and it seems almost faded in a way. And these cops are also all like ostracized in some way from their particular timelines. And that all seems a little forced. But I think what really makes the show work is the fact that all those leads, it basically has four separate leads, I think are very good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the main
1: thing. Like, um, Uh, all the actors are really good in this. It's good. It's like it's elevated Uh, more than I expected it would be. And especially, I was surprised to see. That our favorite, um, our favorite blowhard from Andor, makes an appearance <laughs> here. Kyle Solar yeah, is one of who the plays lead characters.
0: Cyril Carn,
1: yeah, uh, as
0: Patrick, uh, not Patrick, Patrick Williams, and I have discussed yes. in the past. This is some good Carn content. Uh,
1: good Carn Um Listen, the, the differences <laughs> you can make with a good beard just to like change the shape of your face. He doesn't look anything like he does in Andor. But here he has a good manly beard and he has a dark secret and it's all, it's all a little much, but I think he is good. I like, I like all the, the main actors. I think by the time pieces start fitting together in episode two and they're not like breathlessly trying to like set everything up. um, I think it it starts to gel to better uh, a little better and but you know at some point like i think every episode ends in a way that's just like oh well i gotta keep watching yeah like this is interesting enough they have good cliffhangers good cliffhangers and i i blinked and i was in episode four so i think this is perfectly fine netflix content i just feel like it could have been elevated a little bit more but it it is good for what it is
0: okay here are some thoughts on bodies on netflix okay uh Here's what's great about bodies. As we've mm-hmm. already discussed, the cast is excellent. It's just a... Shir Haas. Shir Haas and Stephen Graham. Everyone's, everyone's great in the cast. Okay. Um, the production values for some of the timelines are very good. <laughs> yes. Right? Like uh, Particularly the past timelines. It's like you, you... You never need to be convinced that you are in that time period. You, you, you never question it because the production value is so good. It's like, oh, I'm... Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. The, the, the freaking ground is different right like cuz it's, dirtier, it's like right there's no road yeah, yeah. there's no yeah. road it's like cobblestones and it's like wow this is amazing um so the production value is great it lo- it's a very gorgeous looking show mm-hmm. until you get to the um, future yeah here's what's also great about it it's a mini series that tells a complete story so mm. uh you know there's so many like I- i'll give you an example 1899 that's a netflix series Completely unsatisfying when you get to the end of that series because uh-huh. clearly they wanted to do at least two to three seasons of 1899 and it got canceled after season one and that Dude, is extremely you're just left adrift. You got nothing. Yeah, yeah literally. Um, and so. Yeah, uh, this is not that show. At the mm-hmm. end of the show, there is a definitive ending. This is good, and it's like, oh, I, I don't feel like my time has been wasted. <laughs> I feel like a complete story has been told, and yes. like that's great. Okay, I will say it is more propulsive than most streaming
1: shows. So I think that's well. A there's big, where, there's, big where plus for it. there's where I disagree. There's where I disagree with you.
0: Is I think this thing is glacially paced. Ah. I, think, I think that you could have eliminated two episodes off of this thing. That's interesting. Yeah. And it would still be completely fine. I think it's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot of time to tell a story. And in fact I you know I I um posted on threads about my thoughts on this uh, I'm on threads and uh, i, I that, that's a lot of the reaction I received was like people were like I couldn't get through three episodes you know like mm, I couldn't get through because okay. it is so slow in, in a lot of its stuff. The show is almost completely humorless right there is no yeah, uh, there is no levity at all despite the fact that this is at a very very goofy premise uh, what is going on in the show and I would say the biggest problem with the police Divinja Hardwar is mm-hmm. it's very clear from the first episode that these police are tangling with forces beyond their comprehension. Oh, sure, right? sure. Like, there's some other force out there that is, like, a- a- acting on what's going on. And the problem with bodies is the police are behind the eight ball for most of the time.
1: I- that you That's see. true. They yeah. are
0: alway- they're always, by- there's ne- almost never a moment where they're like, I'm actually ahead of what's actually, it's like, they're always trying to catch up with what's going mm-hmm. on. Um, and so that, depending on how satisfying you find that, you know, that may impact your enjoyment of the,
1: the I mean, at one point they make a, they make an X-Files reference, like, oh, this is an X-Files story. And that was cool. But then I I was reminded, you know, the thing about X-Files is that they were, they were often very good about chasing (laughs) down the sources of these mysteries and (laughs) the show, not so much.
0: Yeah, that's right. They would resolve a mystery in an episode. At the end of an episode. At the end of an episode. Um, I will say, I will say. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say you do get answers to okay. virtually every question that is asked in the show. Mm-hmm. So like uh, I will not say what the answers are, but I'll say like, uh, but that's great. I-, I love that you get answers. Um, and I think they're, they're largely consistent with everything you've seen in the show. There's not, mm-hmm. there's no answers. I feel like, well, that's cheating. That doesn't make any sense. Like everything, the, the show is a very kind of like a, what you see is what you get kind of show. Um, but if you're like me, and you are super into time travel, time loop stuff. This yes. is a this is a show that is shares a lot of DNA with. I'm going to just name a bunch of things. Uh-huh. Uh, Dark, the Netflix original series. Predestination, the movie. Mm. Uh, Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film. Like the, yeah, in, yeah. Inception, the Christopher Nolan film. Like there's a time lot crimes. Of time crimes. There's a lot of stuff that is just like so my jam that I am willing to forgive all of those problems I just listed, which yeah, are considerable. Yeah. There's a lot of problems with it. Like it's so slow, and some of it is so cheesy, and the tone is so dour. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I still got all the way to the end because it's like, you got it by the time you get to episode six, you're like, I gotta see how they wrap it up.
1: I mean, but I'm in episode four. I'm like, I can feel the yeah. the pace sometimes, but at the same time, it feels more propulsive than uh, than other streaming shows I've seen. It also feels like I know it's based on a comic, but also, like the setup of it feels just like, if the Netflix algorithm was out there looking for things to potentially adapt, it feels like it would be there because there are a lot of those uh, time travely stuff there, like yeah. Dark and everything, but also a lot of murder mysteries. What have you? What have you combined them? Yeah, like a wonderful yeah. sandwich of content. <laughs> um, I, I feel like that's the big thing there. I just wish the uh, the future world just looked better.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I wish this was a little bit more fun. It's a very goofy premise. It could it's be more fun. It's very silly. Yeah. It's
1: just not yeah. very much fun to watch the show. Um, well, I it, had a lot of fun laughing at the future world. Yeah. Like, be, like yeah, almost every element of the future world is just like, Why is her hair yeah. like a giant planet? Why yeah, there,
0: there's no there's no inten- there's
1: very little intentional humor.
0: Yeah. in the show unfortunately and that's sure Sh- House's a,
1: character has a spine implant to help yeah. her walk and it just looks very silly even though that concept is cool yeah the yeah. fridge is just like hey uh you're wasting energy as you're keeping me open it's just like a lot of tidbits <laughs> of future stuff that i think are really funny and silly it uh it reminds me of like back to the future too like bad mm-hmm. future predictions yeah, at yeah, some yeah, times. Yeah, yeah 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 yes honestly
0: and honestly also some elements of back to the future 2 yes. i'm sure inspired this film as well so yep. or this series as well so anyway um davindra is a little bit more positive on it than me i, I still think it's worth recommending it's a good sit big sure. if you are into time travel stuff i think if you're just into like a really good drama i don't i honestly don't think this would be good for you what if
1: you're into murder if, mysteries though because you're essentially into, this is four murder mysteries yeah. in one yeah incredible yeah, yeah. <laughs> where else will you see that <laughs> Four different murders. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Being, being solved in parallel. Are, in they, are they different murders, though? That's I a know. That's a question you need to ask bodies.
0: yourself. That's a question you need to ask yourself. Is anyway. there a
1: conspiracy involved? Is there yeah. a potentially dystopian government in the future, which makes no goddamn sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That is there.
0: Anyway, regardless of all of that, no, you are loved. All no, right. you are loved uh bodies is streaming right now on netflix and uh worth checking out and, and totally davindra and my jam you know yes, like it's something yes. that i knew we would both like be into the show it's it's um, it's a
1: good sit it's very it's, it's b great sci-fi tv yeah you know I, don't but expect I,
0: I also understand if this is not your thing like it's not if people are watching through like if people get to episode three and they're like i don't like this i'm not mm-hmm. telling you to finish it yes. i'm not i'm not there's there's some shows where you're like you got to get through For All mm-hmm, Mankind season mm-hmm, one because mm-hmm. you got to get to season two, right? Like, this is not one of those. If oh, you're yeah, like, that's starting back up soon. Mm, if you're yeah. like, I got through episode three of Bodies on mm-hmm. Netflix and I don't like it, I'm not going to tell you to get to the end. Because yes. it's not, I don't think it's worth it.
1: I don't think it's The, the thing I will say, if you are interested in this premise, give it two episodes because yes. I think the first one is a little belabored. Like, it just takes a while to get going. Yes. The second one really has more of the good stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's Bodies
0: streaming right now on Netflix. And that is what we've been watching this week. Let's get to some weekly plugs. Weekly, Just a weekly. weekly plugs are part of the show each week, where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, listener, do you enjoy my comments on movies but hate my voice? Well, if so, I have no a solution comment. for you. <laughs> divinja's like half of that's true Mm -hmm. um then then, uh i would recommend you check out my free newsletter decoding everything uh where i write about movies and other stuff going on in the world of uh television movies tech and the media every week over at decoding everything.com uh this week you can check out my review of killers of the flower moon which i am about to relate to you in audio form but if you're like i hate that pesky david chen voice Check it out at uh, check out the writing over at decodingeverything.com. It's, it's basically, uh, in some ways, a written version of the stuff I cover here and on Decoding TV and elsewhere. Um, so, check it out, decodingeverything.com.
1: Divin, your hardware, your weekly plug. Oh, sure. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Gadget podcast. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news about uh, venture capitalist Mark Andreessen's techno optimist manifesto, which is just one of the most insane things I've read lately. But we broke that down, we had a great discussion with it. Um, or around that, with Paris Marks, who is yes. a uh, well-known tech critic. He has a really good newsletter, a great, uh, great podcast as well. And he's just a good voice in this because he gives us more of the sort of like sociopolitical angles going on here. But it was a great conversation. And if you want to know why I'm terrified of uh, what techno-optimism is and what these VCs are really, the things they think and believe about the world are just kind of terrifying, um, I think it's a good listen because these are these are the people in power. It's scary the worldview they have at times. Also real quick, uh, I had another, we did another episode last week too. I did a longer interview um, with Max Avery, the author of a masterpiece in disarray. So you can, if you want to hear about his uh, book about David Lynch's Dune, we had a great chat about that.
0: Is that also in the gadget podcast? Of it
1: is. It's a yeah. separate
0: episode, but it's on the feed. All right. And of course, we always want to plug the podcast if you want to support this podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive afterdarks. We never want anyone to donate. If it in any way causes you financial hardship, you can always support us for free. Share our videos on Instagram, instagram.com slash the Uh Like and share our episodes as well as our YouTube videos. Um, and also leave a star rating for us or a review for us at Apple Podcasts. We really would appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who makes this podcast possible. You're great. Let's get to our review of Killers of the Flower Moon.
2: You know, you got, you got nice color skin. What color would you say that is? My color. The Osage. They have the worst land possible but they outsmarted everybody the land had oil on it black gold money flows freely here now I do love that money sir (laughs) (laughs) this wealth should come to us their time is over It's going to be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something
0: else. Welcome to the film cast review of Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm going to read the plot summary for this movie from the internet. Quote In the 1920s, members of the Osage Native American tribe of Osage County, Oklahoma, are murdered after oil is found on their land and the FBI decides to investigate. End quote. So, folks, Martin Scorsese, in my opinion, one of the greatest filmmakers to
1: ever make movies. Just your one opinion. The,
3: Nobody else's. Just my yeah, opinion. He's really gone out on, yeah. on a limb on this one. I'm
0: really, know. I know it's really like uh, putting myself Hot out takes. there. I'm endangering my own professional, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, uh, stature by by saying that. But yes, uh, one of the greatest to ever do it. One of the greatest living filmmakers. Uh, And uh, somebody who has made work that is incredibly diverse, very accessible. Uh, So I was incredibly excited. This was one of my most anticipated films of the year. And I'm so curious what you all think about it. Devinder Hardware, let's start with you as usual. What did you think of Killers of the Flower
1: Moon? You know, guys, I think this movie is a masterpiece. I think it will go down in history as one of the greatest American films ever made. And probably one of Scorsese's. So yeah, I liked it. You know, like I I liked it quite a bit. I I think this movie, it is phenomenal in its breadth and its scope and how it it, basically how it's charting um, a story that feels very familiar to America. Right. This is a very American story of um, people of color achieving some sort of wealth, some sort of success and um, it being taken away because of the sheer power of racism and, you know, Uh, white folks not wanting that power to accrue so I think in that respect I think it's a really powerful story but also you know reading about how much Scorsese talked to the Osage Nation and kind of reworked what this movie was going to be because initially it was going to be um kind of more of the white savior movie you know it was initially DiCaprio as the fbi guy right Um, i I believe the book is told from the
0: perspective of the law enforcement it's the title it's
1: it's like i I think fbi is in the title right uh uh, like the founding of the fbi it it might be yeah it might be in
0: the subtitle but yes yeah the the book by david grant has the same title but it was Mm -hmm. originally certainly told from a different perspective yeah um and scorsese decided to change it uh, to be both from the perspective of the titular killers and also their victims. That's kind of yes. what the movie uh, takes the perspective of. Go ahead, and I Dimitri. think
1: that's, it is so, so This movie begins with the Osage point of view. It ends with the Osage point of view. I think the greatest actor in the film is Lily Gladstone. And what, just what a phenomenal talent because she spends much of the movie, not really saying much, but she says so much with her eyes and with a smirk and I just couldn't take my eyes off of her just in terms of her performance and also her calculations in terms of what she's dealing with, because the story is basically about her falling in love with a guy. She knows is kind of a scoundrel, right? And that's part of the appeal, but also how much does she know? How much of a scoundrel is he? That's really the whole thing here. I think the point of view of this movie is, is just, um, it's astounding to me. Um, Certainly I would have loved to see more from her character. I would have loved to see more from Molly, but I think just knowing like what this movie transformed from being like something that could have been a much more traditional hey i'm here to save you all um let's get to the bottom of this murder and the fbi saves the day it's not that the you know we'll talk about a lot of this stuff in spoilers but the fbi kind of appears kind of late and that's not the point of this at all this is really a story about betrayal and the greed at the heart of uh you know one man and what what pushes somebody like um like ernest burkhart to both say he loves his wife but also betray her and everyone around her at the same time i think this movie is phenomenal it is just like i i was enraptured for so long we were all having the bathroom debate about how many times people would need to go to the bathroom i went once mainly because i couldn't i couldn't leave like i couldn't find a good moment to just be like okay this is winding down this movie is three and a half hours basically of um of something that just kept me completely enraptured. I think DiCaprio is fantastic here, and we'll talk about specifically why, but I think De Niro's the real, like, kind of like chilling in terms of like how how scary he is, because this is not De Niro in Cape Fear mode, right? This is not De Niro in Goodfellas. This is Santa Claus. Except you can't trust Santa you can't trust the Santa Claus or like a can kindly grandpa or something. Um yeah, I love this movie. I cannot, I hope I get to see it again in theaters because it absolutely floored me. Let's talk about the bathroom situation just
0: momentarily, like, uh, for <laughs> the for important a mo- things for a moment. I'm, I'm, yeah, so I also went once and I had the same feeling as Devendra, which was I kept waiting for things yeah. to slow down for me to be able to go, <clears throat> and then it, it became clear that like I would not be able to leave without missing something, right? Like, that's kind of what. Uh, Revealed itself to me That should be be the definition
1: of a movie
3: though Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know
1: (laughs) I'm also (laughs) saying uh, bring back the intermission if yes, you're having absolutely. a three and a half hour long, just give me give me a break. Like give I everybody agree. a
0: break. I think we'd all appreciate that. Yeah. Well, Jeff, you're saying you're saying what an ideal circumstance would be, but I think there's many movies we've seen this year where there's many <laughs> points I could have easily left and felt like I didn't. I have average. left many times. Yes. from some some movies. But this yeah. is one of those. But this is one of those movies where it felt like something kept happening,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and I really appreciated that. Jeff, did you have to go to the bathroom <clears> during the movie? Or I did not. Bathroom right. report. Nice bathroom report.
3: Okay. Uh, I love yep. I love the uh, subtitle. <clears throat> Stuff kept happening, Dave Chen. Yes,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. That's that's my <laughs> review. That uh, beat kept going. Yeah, Jeff Kanata. What are your thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon?
3: Well, first, I have to apologize because uh, I'm a little under the weather, folks. So forgive me if my uh, my, my you know I'm I'm yes. a little off my game today. But <clears throat>
0: we, we are gra- we are very grateful that Jeff has uh, chosen to be here at all.
3: Uh, like he's wow, clearly don't need you to know say that I, yeah. I, it's my my job. I'm, I'm here. Maybe, yeah. but, uh, I'm, I'm a little a uh, little low gear, unfortunately. But uh, I do have a limerick. Oh, nice! Hit us with it. Yeah.
0: Are are your best? Are your thoughts
3: best summed up via this limerick? Uh, Shockingly, yes, they are. Whoa! (laughs) In the form of this limerick. What? (laughs) Get out of here! Here we go. (laughs) When the content and rhythm are right, when it's artful and full of insight, when you love what it's doing, there's one way it's ruined. And that's when it outstays its welcome and just keeps on going well past the point it should have stopped. And you're like, oh my God, was there no one around to edit this? There's so much extraneous stuff here that if you left it out, it would actually make for a better experience and more people would actually enjoy it. But no, here we are, it just keeps going and going well past the point that anyone would think it should end. And now I'm even questioning if I liked it at all because it has become an endurance event to even reach the conclusion. And so I'm conflicted because I think asking an audience to stay engaged for so long is self-indulgent and misses the mark. And wasn't this supposed to rhyme? by now but also i like how this movie bring, brings this historical atrocity to light
1: bravo that's also really... it sounds like you really need to go to the bathroom Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it sounds like you, you're that's, it, it sounds like you you were watching the clock i was like when is this gonna end so i can go empty my bladder but mm-hmm. okay. uh,
3: no yeah. I, I didn't have to pee i just <laughs> um I, I looked at my watch a couple of times and one time i was like oh we still have an entire movie's worth of movie right, here. Right, right, right. An was, hour and 45 minutes still to go. Yeah, There's Jesse yeah.
1: Plemons halfway through. We've yeah. gone yeah. through yeah, an hour
3: even. and 45 minutes, and now we have an hour and 45 minutes. The movie's too long. It's too long. Now, I think this movie at two and a half hours would be a masterpiece. A masterpiece. I think a, this movie at three and a half hours is a miniseries. It, it, you're making it ostensibly for Apple TV+, right? Put it out as a mini-series. It It is, there are these chunks, you know, you have the sort of first chunk of like the, the romance and you, you can you can break it up into episodes. Just do that. Or put out the two and a half hour version and then put out the longer version for people that want to at home. It, it, it. I think it is, I know we've had a lot of long movies this year and some of them I love. And there's a lot of movies that I love. I don't think this movie needed to be this long. It feels like no one was around to tell him to cut it down. And in spoilers, I have specific things that like, I don't understand why this couldn't, this entire chunk couldn't have just been excised from the movie. There's things that like get set up and then paid off. And then we return to them. And yes, I get it. Maybe that's exactly how it played out in real life. Cause real life is messy and real life doesn't have, you know, clear act structures and stuff like that, but it's a movie. And so you can, You know, condense things for the sake of the audience. And here's the reason I feel so passionately about this: because I think more people should see this movie. I think everybody should see this movie. I think a lot of people
1: saw this movie, Jeff. Just, just FY. The box office has been pretty good.
3: I can tell you that the people pretty well. It beat Taylor Swift internationally. That's insane. (laughs) Okay, that's insane. I think that's great. I and maybe the audience has more of a appetite for longer movies than I give them credit for. Obviously, Oppenheimer did great. It's super long we've seen lots of super long movies do well i think the people that most need to see this will not have the pa- the patience for it and I, I think this movie speaks to america now it speaks to america's history it speak it it is a very powerful treatise on some of the ills plaguing our nation historically and currently and i want everybody to see that. I want people to see this movie. And I think if you put it out at two hours or two and a half hours, it's like, it's a gut punch at three and a half hours. It's an endurance event. And I, and it bums me out because there's so much amazing stuff in the movie. Uh, As you said, uh, Lily Gladstone is a revelation. She's amazing. I think young actors should watch her performance in this Mm -hmm. movie and see what stillness can do. Stillness. That is the soul of film acting being still being letting the camera do the work she is incredible at that there's a famous <clears throat> there's a famous interview with um sir ben kingsley when he's like he said every take if i get to do another take in a movie my goal is to do less do less do less do less and you watch lily gladstone just be still be present be attentive and you the audience are just absolutely drawn into that and she, she's amazing and there's so much stuff that's amazing I think this movie structurally is baffling in a lot of ways it, it, I don't understand why Scorsese insists on doing all his movies from the point of view of the people we are not supposed to sympathize with like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me like do this from Lily Gladstone's perspective or her people's perspective I don't understand why our main character is Leonardo DiCaprio and Alpe- and uh, Al Pacino, <laughs> Robert mm-hmm. De Niro, um, I, you know, like there's a lot of things that I think this movie doesn't quite get right. And I will tell you, I was like actively kind of perturbed by the very end of this movie, and we'll talk about mm, it yeah. in in spoilers. But I, I like there's so much genius here. Obviously, the filmmaking is unparalleled, right? It's it, it, it like the the budget the the, just the richness of the imagery, the stuff that we get to see the way it's all that time period is recreated. And I understand that place and the people that live in it. And there's so many ancillary characters that we get to know and get to understand. And sort of the, the sprawling mystery, you know, whodunit kind of crime element of it is, is really interesting and fun. Like this movie. Is a masterpiece at its heart. It just is, I think, bogged down, in my opinion, mm-hmm. by a lack of of whittling to the just the best of the best. It's 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 just in, I think, indicative of where we are with this art tour filmmaking in the age of the you know tech company funding it, where they're just like, hey, let's just throw a bunch of money at the tour and no oversight, and it's like, okay. I love Scorsese and clearly he's a master and this is masterful filmmaking, but also somebody needed to say, dude, you can't make it three and a half hours. My opinion.
1: I I got one word for you, Jeff.
3: (laughs) Disagree. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I figured both of you.
1: Um,
0: I actually think I come in, in between you two on this one. Um, I (laughs) disagree with Jeff about the length. The, The length didn't bother me. And I have to confess that I probably evaluate Martin Scorsese films differently than I do other films, uh, just because you're watching one of the one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, and like Apple decided to give him two hundred million dollars to make this movie, uh, and he's just like, you know what, I, like things that I typically care about in a film, like uh, tight pacing, you know, like a structure that kineticism, like yeah. you know, or that like really, it's not that there's nothing yeah you're
1: you're right this, this, this is not like good this is not the opening of good
0: yeah this is not good a Fe- yeah, part right. of Goodfellas. yeah right 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 exactly <laughs> um but like th- those kinds of things that i typically value in a film i'm just like i kind of relax when it comes to martin scorsese he has said that mm-hmm. he is inspired by the films of ari aster when it comes Who he to has their... like helped but he's yeah.
1: produced ari aster's movies too so yeah makes sense yeah but he is inspired by the way that they
0: are paced and he's mm-hmm. just like i like to have a leisurely deliberate pace Love and it. I'm, fi- I'm fine with it. Like it's a different mode than what we typically see, so like I didn't mind. We sat through um, Bo
1: is Afraid, okay? Exactly. So, this yeah. very Bo is afraid. I felt like, that movie was three hours. I did not feel this movie was three and a half hours. It's Very Bo this is Afraid, was except add
0: an hour and ten minutes onto the except, runtime of uh, that uh, movie. More
1: interesting. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, where I agree with Jeff is that I thought this movie was going to be um, from the the perspective of both the titular killers of the flower moon and also the Osage. And I don't believe it fully accomplishes. that. like, I thought it was going to be a two-hander with Leonardo DiCaprio and Mm -hmm. Lily Gladstone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: As Jeff indicated, Leonardo DiCaprio is the protagonist of the film. He is the person that gets the most complete arc. He is the person who we are meant to experience most of the film through. That does not mean we don't get any of Lily Gladstone's perspective. We do. There's many there's many subjective shots, like where we're seeing the world through her character's eyes, and she narrates like how, a big yeah. Portion she of narrates this movie. seeing how white yeah. people view that character, and like how uh, you know upsetting and challenging that must be. And she so narrates
1: a-, a lot of the early stuff about the Osage too. Like, hey, all these killings started, and there's imagery from those where she's just lifting off listing off names of these murders of like, oh, uh, listed as a suicide. Right, yeah, yeah. or something like all those things, yeah,
0: that's her I, I yeah. am not saying I so, as I just said, I'm mm-hmm. not saying that we don't get any of her perspective, but at the end of the day, and we can go into this more in spoilers, um we did not get enough of that perspective for me to feel like this was a fully satisfying story. Uh, now, I still largely agree that this is a great film, uh as Davindra said, like so many amazing elements about it, and as you both have said, it says so much about racism and white supremacy. And uh, you know, the events of this movie happened about a hundred years ago. Right. So it's not like 500 years ago. It's like uh, there are some people alive that still remember these events or that like have relatives that remember these events. Yeah. Uh, And we should like, it is important to be reminded of how easily people can be dehumanized. Um, and how the form in which that dehumanization comes in is often very insidious. It's not like, uh, it's not necessarily wearing a clan robe. It's sometimes it's wearing a business suit and it has a smile and it's donating money to the causes that you well, want, sometimes you it's know? doing both.
1: You right. Know, sometimes it's is, doing both. Exactly. That's and, the story of America. But the the Tulsa massacres are mentioned here because they also happen. Yeah. it's, it's, a, very all sim- of these it's so. a very
0: similar dynamic as to what you were articulating, Devendra, about. Um, you know, when uh, people of color get too much power, sometimes there is a backlash. And uh, and I, I I like that it kind of sets those. You know, the Osage murders and also uh, the Tulsa massacre. They're like parallel events in in many ways. Um, so I think it's an important film. I think it's worth watching. And anytime Martin Scorsese makes a movie, I'm going to check it out and I'm going to want to talk about it and think about it and write about it. Um, but I am disappointed by largely the perspective that the movie takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a real missed opportunity.
3: So it's, so, it's an odd know. thing to to see it sort of stack up over his career, you know, with th- these movies where he, he chooses the perspective we're we're inside the POV of the the heinous actor, right? The but we like them. That's in the, the other movie. In the other movies,
1: and this is where I'll you say You don't like very him different. in this movie. He's, he's a, a, a fucking. He's a sleaze. He's a yeah, of course, slime. So is no, the Wolf of Wall Street. But yeah. we we want to be so, him. Like the Wolf of Wall Street let, yeah, was aspirin. Let's
0: aspirate. let's let's talk. We have more yeah. to say about this. Let's talk but about I do, the spoilers. I do want to like responding
1: yeah. directly to what you're saying. I don't think this is the same as other Scorsese movies because yes, I would have like, I would have let the movie to center Lily Gladstone completely and be entirely from her perspective. I do give him credit for reworking this movie completely from what the book was going to be. But specifically, DiCaprio is a shithead in this movie. Like he is lazy. He was cowardly. The thing he has going for him is that he looks like Leonardo DiCaprio, right? And even then he has crooked teeth. He is not, He is showing age in this movie, which is something I didn't even really couldn't really notice in The Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I think it is a very different way of highlighting, um, you know, the bad guys or like the. uh,
0: Yeah, I I I think it's fundamentally different. I will concede that he is less aspirational in this film.
1: Than any then of the have, like, other films, the but other Jeff, films, I, yeah. I
0: can also agree with you that he still has a bunch of charisma in this movie as well. So, like, can we? Yeah. I think we accept we can accept that we might have different perspectives on that. But yeah. anyway, let's get to spoilers. There's a lot more to discuss. So, spoilers for Killers of the Flower Moon starting
2: right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. It compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't. The truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin.
0: Th- so there was a viral clip going around uh, of, uh, I, I want to say Christopher Cote, I believe is how his name is pronounced, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, he was one of the consultants on Killers of the Flower Moon. He appeared at the premiere of Killers of the Flower Moon and uh, reacted to uh, the movie. Uh, And he said, quote, "Uh, as an Osage, I really wanted this to be from the perspective of Molly and what her family experienced. But I think it would take an Osage to do that. Martin Scorsese not being Osage, I think he did a great job representing our people. But this history is being told almost from the perspective of Ernest Burkhart. And they kind of give him this conscience and kind of depict that there's love. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, that's not love. That's not love. That's just beyond abuse, end quote. Um, And... Uh, so a lot of the reaction from um, people familiar with Osage culture has been like, this is a um, a sort of meticulously sort of accurate representation of uh, Osage people and their cultures. But the problem that some people have is that, yes, what we've already discussed before, that it's from Burkhardt's perspective. And what I could not get past is the events of the final third of the movie, where... Lily Gladstone's character is Molly, her perspective is almost completely absent from the final third of the film, and that is a real problem. Like even if I accept let's say I'm like I'm on board with Leonardo DiCaprio being the main actor. It's all, he's awesome of course. Of course you got to do Leonardo DiCaprio. Like let's say that's my perspective. Uh, that's my opinion. Even if that was
2: true,
1: I still think the final third or final quarter of the movie fails because uh You mean when she was sick in bed the whole time because of him? Uh,
0: Past that, when she
1: comes back to life, you know, when Mm -hmm. she gets restored Mm -hmm. and and she's
0: watching him testify, uh, watching him testify about murdering her entire family. And we don't get any access to what that character is feeling about that. Now, she has a confrontation with him Mm -hmm. where he's like, I've unburdened myself. And then it almost makes it seem. Like she would be okay if he just confessed to the poisoning, um, but we just don't really get
1: that, that understanding. That is, now you, now yeah. you
0: can like you can look at her performance and say you got a lot out of it, and I don't want to like we can disagree on that. But I felt like it was sorely needed access to what that character was thinking and feeling in the final quarter of the movie, and it really hurts the movie to not have it. So that's my my opinion.
1: Um, Jeff, it seems like you're nodding. Davindra, it seems like you disagree a little bit. Devendra, How do do think? We We don't know. We don't like this is one of those things like you don't know why people do what they do or, or exactly what they're thinking. And I think what the movie does, she is never a powerless character in this movie, even when she is like she's in bed and she's very sick because of him. She still like maintains her. I, I think like there is a, still a power to her, even when she's very sick and she decides to go to Washington to do this thing to try to get some help. That is her taking an active role there. I agree. I, I think fundamentally this movie would be better if we had her perspective entirely throughout. Yeah. And I actually also agree with that criticism that if you were to do that, it would be better if Scorsese wasn't the director telling the story through the Osage perspective because that's not, that's not his perspective. And I would love yeah. to see a miniseries about this from that side. You know, There are always two sides to these stories or different ways to come at these stories. We shouldn't just have one you know, definitive telling of the Osage murders, there should be a miniseries and it should be entirely from the native perspective. And I would love to see that. But I think in this movie, it's the, it's the unknowability that I think is interesting because we don't know. How would you know? People don't, don't just sit out there and reveal their full thoughts or their full intentions. I think everything we know about that character tells us that
0: she would be completely emotionally destroyed by learning that her husband conspired
1: to murder her entire family. She doesn't know. We don't see, we don't
0: see what I just said happen when she discovers that information.
1: Yes, this is true because she, I think she did fundamentally like there's a whole conversation with her early on where I think she does like him and love him. And that's a conversation too. Like you knew this was going to happen. You knew you can't trust these people. You see what's happening. Like even before she's like, well, he's kind of cute. You know, like there, there is the human motivation for a lot of these things we don't understand. And I don't think we will ever fully understand. I think what's interesting about the end of the movie is that unknowability and that final confrontation, which is what happens before the very final thing, which I know you probably hate, Jeff, the radio show. But I actually think that's brilliant. Um, but that's the final it. Like he doesn't admit to that lie. She's She says, what did you give me? He lies. She walks out. We cut to the radio show. That's the end of the movie to me mm-hmm. because this whole other thing is the epilogue. So she retains her power there because she didn't just stay with him, you know, after learning that full truth. It's a fair. It's a fair point,
0: Avindra. Like I think. I think you're making a fair point that basically, it is. Co- it is completely conceivable mm-hmm. that a character in Molly's position would choose to forgive, or at least not be, blindingly angry at somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio's character. Because of feelings that she has for him, because of their yeah. history together, because of whatever. Maybe she thinks but, he's a dum dum. Yeah, he, but, and he is like how but, responsible is he? I don't but know. throughout the whole movie, we under we understand what Leonardo DiCaprio is feeling, and at, at virtually every single point of the film, and mm-hmm. I we don't we aren't given the same access to Molly, and I think that's a real loss for the movie. So that's that's how I feel about it. Jeff, uh, weigh on on this, and then uh, let's talk about the the epilogue as well. But go ahead. Yeah,
3: I agree with you. I agree with you, Dave. I um. You know, we see uh, DiCaprio struggling at the end with this big decision, and I think we are put in his position as like in a very sympathetic way, right? And we don't we don't see her struggling with anything. Obviously, there is some struggle there. Like, do I stand by my husband? Do I right. you know, Do I believe the the what he's telling me to my face, or do I believe the evidence of of his crimes? Mm-hmm. And and we don't get any of that insight into her struggle, but we definitely get his. And that's one of those s- whole sections that I think could just be excised from this film without losing much is, you know, we he's going to testify, and then he's not going to testify, and then he is going to testify. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe that –
0: All the Brendan Fraser stuff basically, right? Like, yeah, it's,
3: that, I, mean, I mean the testifying in and of itself is, is important, right? But what you do when you make a movie, it, maybe the real truth of it is that he flip-flopped like that. But Mm -hmm. the movie, we don't need to see him make that decision twice, you Mm -hmm. know? And I understand that the reason is, you know, his child dies, but a child dies off screen. It's very odd. Like, oh, by the way, your kid is dead. Oh, okay. Well, that changes everything. It's just like, I I don't think it it, it adds anything. It just, the movie is just elongated by that stuff and it could be more focused and we could feel that, that decision process instead of, like, going back and forth and constantly going and having another conversation with mm-hmm. De Niro, and, like, it's... I don't know.
1: I can I tell you guys why I think it's necessary. It's because he doesn't he doesn't know. He doesn't know himself. He is a little... He's a little, like, sponge who's taking in what De Niro's character is telling him. He is so weak-willed, right? Like, it... it I, I'm getting a lot from this character where he just wants to fit in. He wants to be good for his uncle. He wants his uncle to like him. He's gonna do whatever it takes. He doesn't actually think of the natives as as human beings so he can do these things and also be really cruel to his wife in one scene too which i also think is pretty crucial but he doesn't have his own moral backbone whereas literally i think lily gladstone's character has a deep moral center and a deep intelligence he's a big dum-dum he is kind of just reacting to the forces around him and not really thinking about things and i think that's part of the thing there is that's the flip-flop yeah he doesn't know what he wants I will Other agree. Than, yeah. I
0: will agree with you that that is true to the what happens in the movie is true to the character. Um, but you know, to Jeff's point also, like I think we also got that in the preceding two hours of material. You know, like I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that like that point wasn't already landed by a lot of the stuff that had already occurred. Um, that said, uh, let's talk a, l- a little bit about the epilogue now. Uh, Davendra, you described it very well. There's this tense confrontation between uh, Molly and Ernest. And then it basically cuts
1: to cuts.
0: decades yeah. later when a radio play of the same thing is occurring. We don't know um, what's
1: I I love that because we don't know what's happening. It's like, yeah. where am I? What's going on?
0: We we've yeah. been so thoroughly engrossed in this story for hours, and then all and we're thinking like, oh, there's gonna be some big, you know, potential climax or confrontation. Um, instead it's very subdued and then we're suddenly cut to the future. By the way, before we continue, I do want to mention that, uh, there was a movie that came out in 1926 called tragedies of the Osage Hills. Uh, that was another attempt at retelling the, uh, the story of the Osage murders, um, and told from the, uh, directed by Hollywood's first native American filmmaker. Wow. Uh, it's mm. been almost a hundred years since that movie has come out. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to, to mention it's not the first time these events have been attempted to be dramatized. But speaking of dramatization, no, that's what we get. I have no
3: get, doubt you know, that Scorsese watched that movie multiple times. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you're, being, uh, you're being serious, right? Like I'm being serious and that. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I mean, tongue-in-cheek a bit, but because he's such a... Uh, yeah, you he's know, such a, cineph- a yeah, he, cinephile. He, I'm, and, and, I'm sure he has
0: studied you know, it. Um, yeah, exactly. And one thing I admire so much about Scorsese is how much he does to try to like welcome new filmmakers into the world of filmmaking and also to highlight filmmaking and filmmakers that have like been more obscure in the past i think it's really mm-hmm. he and internationally you
1: know, like he is such a treasure
0: for all this Guillermo stuff, you know? del, Toro, del Toro recently tweeted like if i could remove years from my life so that Scorsese yes. could live longer i would do it and yeah uh, i really i feel that in many ways
1: uh, i think he's really he is a treasure didn't right. he uh or infernal affairs <laughs> was like one thing he he'll bring over to like a lot of those things like i yeah. believe he was yeah. instrumental in
0: okay so um the f- uh the finale We cut to a radio show performance that's like sponsored by Lucky Strike cigarettes, and that's kind of the finale. Martin Scorsese appears reading Molly's obituary. He gives himself
3: the last word. Yeah, he gives himself the last (laughs) word, Um, which I found a bit distasteful. It's a, it's I. I, He's spoken about what were those words though? Like that's okay. He reads the obituary.
0: Yeah, he reads the obituary. Yeah,
3: and and. uh, it it didn't land it didn't land very Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. it 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 was discordant to me because Mm -hmm. you know he has said evidently that he you know thought of different who's who's going to cast who's he going to say it he was reading it you know because he couldn't figure out who's going to do it and then at a certain point it's like no it has to be me it's Mm -hmm. like he's like i couldn't figure out any other way to do it and i'm like there is another way to do it dude Put the text on the screen. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna disagree. He gives right here. the
1: last word,
0: Devendra. No, well, because let's, let's, let's put that aside for now. What did you guys? Yeah. let's. I, I want to hear what you th- think about that, Devendra. But what did you guys think about the fact that we're in a radio play? Like, what did you think that was saying? My, I'll tell you what my interpretation mm-hmm. is, which is that well,
3: it's evidently a real thing
0: that happened. Yeah, that was right, a right, thing. right. Yeah. My take is that he was trying to remind the audience that the events we have just seen depicted have been in the past and arguably currently still are Mm -hmm. part of, like have been used as part of commerce. Like the very act, the very work that we have just witnessed is being used to sell tickets is the work of a major multinational corporation. Uh, And to never forget that like, Hey, we've just seen a story, but like FYI, it's a story that will financially benefit others. And it is filtered through the lens of, in the case of the radio play and also arguably film white people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you should just be, you should be aware of that. You as the audience, Mm -hmm. just be reminded that like what you're seeing is not like a pure recreation of everything that happened.
1: It's like, you know, our version of it. It's it's more like rather than just a product of commerce, I would say it's about the limitations of adaptation, right? Because Mm, the limitations of adaptation are your perspective or what you were building for that audience. And in that radio play, I think it's very noticeable that it's really hammy, which if you've listened to any classic radio plays, like it's very much like it's overwrought. It's a kind of soap opery. It's over dramatized and you've got big sound effects because you want to impress people on the radio and that is a hammy adaptation of that story told entirely by the white dudes on that stage. But I also think like he, he is making a point of that and maybe kind of saying like, hey, listen, I did what I could with this movie, right? Like I listened to the Osage people and uh, th- this is not the one telling of the Osage, um, of the Osage murders. This is what I could do within the capabilities of what I have as Martin Scorsese. I will say watching Lily Gladstone throughout this movie, I was so worried for Molly as a character because I didn't, I haven't read the book. I hadn't like, didn't know the full history before seeing this thing. And my worry for her just like increased throughout the end of the movie. And by the time Scorsese reads that last thing, I had tears streaming down my face because ultimately he is reading the life of this woman who lost everyone around her. And it felt like clearly as he was reading it, I could get the emotion that this is also a story that honestly meant a lot to him too, because he, decided to like pitch this big project. And it was something I believe he was thinking about for a long time. But the end, of, at the end of the day, it is a woman who died. She was a mother. She had some kids. There was no mention of the murders. And I think that is the last line of the yeah. movie. And I think that was really, we watched her go through this entire experience. Like I think one of the most, like one of the funeral scenes is just one of the most harrying things I've seen on screen in a very long time. And it's him in a very, like, somber voice at the end, just saying, like, "We, it's there is no record, really, of these murders on her tombstone. It's not a part of her identity. It just feels like... It felt very moving to me and very sad. And I was crying by that point. So that's, I think, his... At least his reading that, you know, her, her tombstone, I think, is... It's powerful, and it's meant to convey something. If it was just text on the screen, it would also be pretty sad. But I think he had, like... Clearly the story means something to him. And I think he kind of showed it here in the film. Jeff, any reaction to that? I mean, I I think it's
0: reasonable for somebody who wants to create a tribute to people that have been the victims of atrocities. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for, for him to be like, this movie is in some ways his attempt at a tribute. Now we can and have evaluated that tribute and found it lacking in some ways, um, but then it it felt like it fit with me that he would want to, you
1: know, say the last word and kind of like close the book on this film. Yeah, um, and we did, we don't know if so. this is like we know he's working on other projects, but I also have the feeling of like, what am I going to do with my power? Like, is one of the last stories I tell. I, I have a there's a weird sense of finality to this too. It feels like listening to David Bowie's Black Star for the first time, which was an album he was working on as he knew he was dying, and listening to the album. Feels like almost like his own eulogy to himself and his career and a goodbye to fans, and I kind of weirdly got that too throughout this film, but especially with that final bit, it's like he was saying goodbye in a weird way uh, with this final story.
0: I uh, one of the most powerful things that I've you know Martin Scorsese has been doing a lot of press for this movie because uh, there's been strikes going on and so like they've put directors. Uh, you know, uh, onto the kind of front lines of promoting a movie like this. And I'm sure he'd be out there anyway, but like he's Mm -hmm. especially out there now, multiple profiles and so on. And one of the things that he said to it during an interview with Deadline um, was that Kurosawa, when he got his Oscar, when George Lucas and Steven Spielberg gave it to him, uh, he said, I'm only now beginning to see the possibility of what cinema could be. Yeah. And it's too late. Uh, he was 83. At the time, I said, What does he mean? Now I know what he means. Mm-hmm. End quote. Which is like a very like heartbreaking idea because yeah, cool. uh, Score says he's 80 years old uh, and <clears throat> he's been ta- thinking a lot about his mortality. You know, he doesn't have n- 10 more movies left in him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he has a few. And. Uh, I think we're all really grateful when, whenever there's a new one, uh, but it, there is a lot of reflection on mortality, I think, in his work. And I do think that the final word uh, also reflects that in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, all right. Uh, anything else about the movie that we want to highlight? I, I, I want to say that um, I, have, I have like assorted thoughts on the movie that I just want to share. First of all, I personally enjoyed the humor in the movie. There was a lot of humor in the, the film mm-hmm. and it was largely used to make the protagonist look more ridiculous and silly and dumb. Like that's kind of what the humor was largely used to do. And I thought that was like an appropriate use of it. Um, when Robert De Niro, for instance, is like berating Leonardo DiCaprio's character, you know, is, spanking him. Yeah, yeah. Spanking it. Like it, it's all very, very funny um and and I, I i can accept humor in a story about atrocities when it is used to make the perpetrators look more yeah. terrible which i think it's very it does. coen brothers right very almost, coen brothers-esque but like i understand you know i understand some people can find it distasteful but it worked for me um i was a little bit uncomfortable with how graphic the killings were i'm just going to be honest Mm -hmm. with you given the fact that given the perspective issues we talked about earlier right like because there's been so many movies in our lifetime that have uh been made popular or made money because they show the torture and killing of people of color and so to then have this movie be extremely graphic in its killings
1: or not extremely it's I would say moderately graphic. Um, At times, moderately graphic, but I think it's not, it's unflinching in the way it shows its violence. And I think that is, that is purposeful, right? Because there's one scene that happens early on as Lou Gladstone is like narrating like some of the murders and it's a mother walking outside, putting her baby in the crib and a guy comes back behind her and shoots her in the back of the head and gently puts the gun next to her, puts it in her hand and takes the baby. And that, that's the story of how America has treated Native Americans in general, in terms of like what's happening, the education of native children, um, the outright, you know, genocide of many, many tribes. It is seeing that happen. So matter of factly left an impression on me. That was maybe 30 seconds of this movie. Yeah. this three on our hour and a half movie. Um, I will never forget that imagery. Yeah. You know, and I think that in this is important to witness. And yes, we do also like when movies, um, when there's something talking about slavery, I do think like sometimes we have seen too many things that kind of seem like it's just showing the brutality of violence against black bodies. But I think here it's not, it's more realistic than, than just like, you know, than just titillation. It's not stylized. It's not, yeah.
0: stylized. it's not, it's
1: not as sensationalized as it could be. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think I wouldn't have had an issue with it if, if the movie was more from the Osage perspective, you know, but sure. I think like, uh, I think because it wasn't it 's kind of this you 're an external observer and mm-hmm. um and witnessing these atrocities from that perspective um it did it did rub me a little bit the wrong way, but i understand uh you yeah. th- that 's a very Reasonable defense, Devendra. Of sometimes of, you have well, to
1: witness something, right, to to understand the full scope of the violence. I am looking forward to a future project about this from the Osage point of view. And I think as we we talked about this in the After Dark recently, like I would love more stories from the perspective of First Peoples because I think that is it's in it's insane what America has done to them. It's insane what all the European powers have done to Native people across <laughs> North and South of America. So yeah. Anything else you guys want to highlight about Killers of the Flower Moon? Great score. I think the score is so simple, but it is it's very very subdued. Propulsive. It's very it's subdued subdued. score, You know, yeah. And,
0: but it's I, I thought it was very effective. You know, very I, effective. I, I like and
1: there it. there are shots like there. There's just so much like creativity going on here. But there's an extended sequence shot through the shimmering of flames in a mm. field. Yeah, where you're just seeing the shadows of people behind the fa- flames. I'm, I was also like saying. I don't think could you do that with a film camera? I this was probably shot on film. I haven't actually looked this up, but it feels like you couldn't really even get that shot um with mm-hmm. with older tech or something. It just kind of felt insane what we were watching. It's like a like a fever dream through fire almost, but a beautiful shot.
0: I will say I have never been happier in my life to see Jesse Plemons show up.
1: Uh <laughs> that was Jesse Plemons, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh it is worth noting that the despite the change in perspective, the FBI are the heroes of the story. Um, they show up and they kind of
1: take care of everything. Uh, well, that's it took when, a while. That's when, they, the, yeah, that's they took a came. while. But and you they, know, the, that's when things start moving in the, the right tribe direction. saying it, like it took how many bodies for you yeah. guys to show up? I did really love the scenes of uh, seeing the elders speak almost directly to the camera. Like talk about getting that perspective in there.
0: For sure, but uh, I, you know, like I said, I've never been happier to see Jesse Plemons and know Mm -hmm. that like, oh, hey, perhaps justice actually might be done in this situation. Um, Any other thoughts about the movie? Uh, I wanted to
3: highlight uh, uh, one of the smaller roles, uh, Louis Cancelmi. I don't know how mm -hmm. you pronounce his last name, Um, who uh, (laughs) plays uh, one of the murderers uh, who takes the stand at one point, and, uh, it just, he's oh, yeah. sort of, he's amazing. Yeah. Blatant disregard for human life mm-hmm. is yeah. haunting. Like his performance, this is like, sort of like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I shot him in the head. And then what did yeah. you do after that? Went and got a beer. You know, it's like that, the way he plays that nonchalance, <laughs> uh, was, uh, harrowing. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to shout out his performance. I I'm not an actor he I've was- seen before, but.
1: Um, I, th- I think like the mundanity of yes, killings from exactly. his perspective was chilling, but also that's what happens when um, we don't think of other people as human, exactly. which yeah. is the history of warfare in America. It's stuff happening right now. It's it's that's humanity that's civilization. And it's, it's scary to see this movie is such a wonder. It's, it's such a microcosm of the problems of all of humanity, not just America,
3: but specifically America. Too. We haven't yeah. really talked about De Niro at all. Um, Chilling. He's, you know, he's yeah. eighty or seventy nine, close to eighty himself. Um, playing, you know, a very uh, <clears throat> interesting character. You know, he, he's very much the mob boss, but you know, like you said, under the guise of Santa Claus. And I, you know, I, I don't know if his accent was always uh, spot on, but it didn't. I kind of didn't matter. You know, like I thought his he his, his presence in the movie was was pretty awesome. And I don't. You know, I don't know if I would have initially thought of De Niro in that part, uh, mm-hmm. but he he he's great. He remains great. You know, I think it's been I a long time I, for me. It's been a while since we've seen a really great De Niro mm-hmm. performance because he's kind of been like, you know, doing these kind of sillier roles, which is fine. You know, all more power to him, but it's neat to see him sort of like, yeah. you I know. mean,
1: we had him in the Irishman, but he was trying but, not to be how, 80 year old. That's 10,
3: 15 years ago, Devendra. Yeah. How long? 2019. 2019. It's uh, 10 for, years ago. Almost that's 10 years that's ago. That's how math works. Yeah. yeah.
0: Four, yeah I was like, anyway, but it's been a while is
1: one of my points. It's been a while. Yeah. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it hasn't. Okay.
1: Anyway. Um, uh, We've forgotten Amsterdam, sir. It <laughs> <laughs> was in
0: Amsterdam. I, I literally just rewatched the Irishman. I mean, I, yeah. I know it feels like a long time ago, but it was not
3: that long It was ago. not that long ago, but he was not playing. Uh, eight, right? yeah, he was not playing a Fair enough. It was before the pandemic, so it feels like a million years ago to me.
0: I think there is a trio of performers Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert De Niro, Louis Kenselmi, and also Scott Shepard, who plays uh Man. Leonardo DiCaprio's character's brother. Yeah. I think the casualness with which they just disregarded non-white life uh is is really chilling. Like they and, and the thing the thing that's amazing is how they act the rest of the time. It's mm-hmm. now, when they're killing people, it's like, okay, you you understand they're like murderers. But when they're just hanging out, it's like they are completely indistinguishable from a person who is not a murderer, right? Mm. And like, that's the, the, the chilling part, right? Is that, that when you see them, it's like, oh, I, I know these people, you know, I've seen people like this. We've, we've, I've hung out with these kinds of people. And also, they can murder you and not even feel guilty about it. And, and that's that, kind of the like... The story
1: of being a person of color in America, right? Like, never never knowing quite who you can, you can even trust. I think there's a wonderful shout-out when they're walking down the street. Oh, Ku Klux Klan rally. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, the guy <laughs> yeah. that he says hi to is the guy in charge of the money for yes. all, like... Because they're all under conservatorship, right? So the government doesn't trust them to have this money. So he's the guy doling out money and saying you're buying too much meat um it's so insidious it's so terrifying absolutely absolutely yeah and on that note by the way one of the things that i did like about the film you know i talked about
0: how molly's viewpoint is is not in enough of the latter half of the film in my opinion but one of the things i really did appreciate is the i the perspective that we do get from molly of the entire world is suspect the entire Mm -hmm. world is closing in on her like can you like can you imagine not being able to trust your the people you do business with your doctors your husband like the the paranoia that must envelop somebody like that and and it, and how completely reasonable that paranoia is given mm-hmm. the circumstances right mm-hmm. um and yeah. i think it's it's a really great illustration of that idea now again i wish they had extended that all the way to the end but like that part of the film i thought was really effective when uh, you know, all the people around her are dying and she thinks she's being poisoned. And she doesn't know who she can trust. Like that part was really an effective stretch for me. So I wanted to mm-hmm. highlight that as well. All right. Uh, shall we wrap it up there then guys? I think that's, that's going to bring us to the end. So, uh, at the end of the day, we all still believe, uh, despite our critiques, it is extremely impressive that Martin Scorsese made a movie. And we hope he continues making movies for as long for as he feels comfortable because uh, he's a master. So anyway, uh, those are our thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this episode uh and if you want to support this podcast patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad free episodes and exclusive after darks thanks to everyone who makes this show possible next week it's going to be anatomy of a fall guys it's going to be the movie for next week really excited about this one i Mm -hmm. know virtually nothing about this movie other than it's really good uh and guy falls down real real bad i think there's a fall that happens Mm. but that's about all I know so uh, it should be a really interesting discussion right here on the Filmcast thanks to everyone for listening thanks to everyone for supporting us on Patreon we'll see you later goodbye